Last Sunday afternoon, I got a call. My kids were at a birthday party, and I looked at the phone. I was on my way home, driving home from church. I looked at the phone, and it was my wife calling. And I answered the phone and said, hey. And she said, where are you? And I immediately hit the accelerator. Uh, if you joined us last week, we talked about intimacy, and I knew the kids were at a birthday party. And I'm like, all right. Uh, and so I, I was heading home, and, and then I told her, hey, I am on my way. And she's like, well, I'm stuck at the theater. And I'm like, well, this call just went in a way different direction than I thought it was going to go. And I said, well, what do you mean you're stuck at the theater? And she said, the car key broke. I said, huh? She said, the car key broke. I said, well, just push it a little further into the ignition and try to turn it again. I'm sure it'll be fine. She said, no, it, it busted off. Well, that's not good. She's like, yeah, that's why I'm calling. I said, all right, well, hang out there, because really, what else are you going to do? I'll uh, go home and grab some tools, and I'll come on up to the theater. And uh, <laughs> it was already broken. What is the worst I can do? So I went home, and I grabbed the toolbox and the spare key, because I'm not an idiot. And... Uh, <laughs> Drove to, the, drove to the theater and was looking around at the ignition and didn't see the key, but she handed me the key fob, and sure enough, that sucker broke off. Uh, so we put in the spare key. She drove home. This week, I ordered a, a replacement case and took it to a locksmith. They cut a new one. I'm just going to tell you, if Chevy would have made the keys out of the material they made the fob with, because I had to pry that open to get the circuit board out of that into the, into the new case, people wouldn't break their car keys, and maybe Chevy knows that, so that's why they don't. I'm not sure. But all of a sudden, something that we've never thought of in the ten and a half years of owning the Equinox came to the forefront of our minds. We had never given any thought to the car key before. It's just there. You just have it. When you need it, you go to it. It's dependable. And then all of a sudden, something happens, and it breaks. And then you recognize, oh, I really needed this. This is really important. And that happens in life sometimes to things. And that happens in life sometimes in relationships. Where all of a sudden, what we've taken for granted, just because we've been married so long, we can complete each other's sentences. And we, we just kind of, we kind of move past that, that falling in love phase to the comfortable stage of, of living life together and, and going through our marriage. And all of a sudden, something's broken. It's something maybe we took for granted. Maybe we haven't paid any attention to it. And all of a sudden, something happens, and we're like, I want to feel the way that I used to feel. Or someone comes along and says something to us that makes us feel alive again and makes us excited, and we think, I haven't felt that way, and I can't remember how long. And in a culture that tells us, Elevate your feelings, elevate your happiness above everything else. What do we do? In the relationship that we're in, 
no longer is exciting or enticing. And it feels like a chore. And it's hard work. And we feel disconnect. Feel like a stranger to the person we once loved. What choice and what decision do we make? This morning, we're going to look at God's design and God's plan. And I just want to remind you that every single time we do things according to God's design and God's plan, in every aspect of our lives, whether that's relationships or something else, it leads to the most fulfilling life and experience that we can ever imagine. And every time we go outside of God's design, every single time, We invite more tension, we invite more hardship upon ourselves and upon our lives. And in a culture that tells us, just be happy, be free, be fun, elevate yourself over everything else. How does that align with God's standard and with God's view of marriage? That's what we're going to look at today. As we look at what happens When the love that we were so desperate to find, and then we found, we all want a great love story. But today we're going to look at what happens when happily ever after doesn't exist. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us this morning in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can find. Whatever app store you utilize on your device. And once it's installed on your device, there are a number of great features within the Bible app. A feature we use every week here at Lakeside is called Events. You can either enable your locations or write in Lakeside. Algoma will pop up and you can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're going to be jumping all over the place a little bit today. We're going to start in the Old Testament book of Malachi. The Old Testament book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 2. If you're joining us via the stream this morning, thanks so much for watching, my name is Brian, and I'm part of the team here at Lakeside. The verses will be available for you on the screen below. The verses will also be available on the side screens for those who are here with us. We're going to dive in in just a minute to Malachi chapter 2. But before we do, I want to set the scene for you because we're not going to be looking at the whole book of Malachi. Malachi is the last prophet in the Old Testament. About 400 to 430 years before the birth of Christ, Malachi wrote the book of, of Malachi. And really, in the book of Malachi, one of the major themes is he's indicting God's people. And he's indicting God's people for not honoring him. Now, there, there are a number of reasons for that. Malachi chapter 2 gives us two of the reasons. The, the first one we're not going to look at today, Malachi chapter 2, has two claims against God's people that they're indicted for. And the first is this, that the Israelites, God's people, had married women who didn't follow after God. They had married women who didn't follow after God. And so again, I just want to caution you, if, if you're dating somebody, if you're in, in the stage of life where you are single, wanting to be married, and in you, you desire a relationship, and that's really important to you. Again, it's, it's, really important, it's really important to know your standards. It's really important to know the type of person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. 
and to recognize what's non-negotiable on your list. And everybody's list is going to look a little bit differently. But if you love and follow Jesus, something that has to be on your list, it just, it has to be on your list, is that you are united with someone in terms of faith. Every single time, every single time somebody doesn't do this, every single time it brings more hardship into the relationship. Every time. And here's the reason why. Because we're not just material aspects. That's not the way that that God made us. We aren't just material beings. We are complete people. We're made up of a material aspect. That's our body. But there's also an immaterial aspect as well. That's our soul. That's our spirit. It's our personality. All of these things God has wired us with. And we need to connect with people on every single level. And anytime we don't connect with someone on any of those levels, there's going to be tension. And there's going to be difficulty. And so it is vitally important. It is vitally important for you to find somebody, not just that you're attracted to, not just that makes you laugh or feels good or provides for you, and all those things are important, but you need to find somebody as well that you're united in terms of your relationship with Christ. We see that in the Old Testament, Malachi 2. We see that in the New Testament in a little bit different language when it talks about not being unequally yoked. And every time, Every time there isn't that connection in terms of spiritual issues, I'm just telling you, your relationship is going to be a whole lot more complicated. It's going to be a whole lot more complicated. So if you're single, just make it a priority and make it a point that one of the non-negotiables for you is going to be that we are united in terms of belief and in terms of where, where, we, where we stand, whether or not we follow Jesus. And if you are married and you're like, well, I'm married, but we're not united in that. What do I do? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, but that's the, that's, the first, that's the first thing that Malachi indicts the people for. The second thing that Malachi indicts the people for starts in verse 13. And that's where we pick it up and we read these words. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? So here's here's the start of the second indictment. You are miserable. You cover God's altar with tears, with tears, with weeping. You're groaning, and you're crying out, You're crying out, asking for God to bless your life, asking for God's favor to be over your life. And you recognize that it's not there. And you're asking, why isn't he here? Why isn't he blessing me? Why isn't his favor present over my life? This is what when we feel like God is far. And it seems like God is so far, and we're praying to him, we're crying out to him, we're asking God to work in our story, intervene in our circumstance, in our situation. And it seems like he's not there. That's what they were experiencing. Verse 14 continues. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithful. Though she is your companion and your wife 
my covenant. Why does God feel so distant? Why does God seem so far? Because they have violated what God designed when he designed marriage. When God designed marriage, he designed marriage between a man and a woman to be for the rest of their life. What God has joined together, let no man separate. That it is to be a unique and a personal experience where two people come together and what they have done is they have invited somebody else into the dynamic. It goes on in verse 15. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. He's saying guard yourself. Guard yourself. Understand, this is how seriously God takes marriage covenants. This is how seriously God takes sexual relationships. That this is something with the two unique people, both loved and valued and designed by God, are joined together as one. It's not just because you're bored on a Friday night. It's not just because you, you need desperately to hear things that make you feel better about yourself so you give yourself away. That's never been God's design for sex. And every time we follow God's plan, it leads to the most rewarding, fulfilling relationships imaginable and possible. And he says, you've got to guard yourself. You've got to recognize how seriously God takes this. For the man who does not love his wife, verse 16 says, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Recognize, contrary to what our culture tells us, there is no clean divorce. There is no clean divorce. I don't know if, if those of you who have kids ever went through a phase like, like my kids did, but my kids just had an, an un, really an unnatural obsession with stickers there for a while. And, and they just love stickers, and that's fine, whatever. Stickers aren't really that big of a deal until they stick them on a, a page that's a legal document. Then stickers become a real big deal. And then those stickers, they don't, they don't just peel off real easily. You're taking hunks of the page off with the sticker. And the same is true when we unite ourselves with someone else. That's God's design. There's a heaviness there. That that person and, and the other person have become one. And they are forever joined together. There is no clean separation. And so when Malachi talks about the person who divorces his wife, his garment is covered with violence. Think about it. If you've ever gone through the heartbreaking process of divorce, you know this. That even the most amicable separations and even the most amicable divorces, they still leave scars. And they still leave marks. And the reason for that 
is because it goes contrary to God's original plan and contrary to God's original design. So we're going to fast forward now to the New Testament book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5, 31, Jesus says these words. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So Jesus is dealing with the culture of that day. And he tells the culture of the day, here's the understanding. And the understanding has been, hey, as long as there's a separation where the, the husband would take care of the ex-wife and the kids, then it's permissible for them to, to get a divorce. It's legally permissible for them to be divorced. The husband still has to take care of the ex-wife. He still has to take care of the kids. He has to make sure that they're not destitute. He has to make sure that their basic needs are provided for. But as long as that happens, then divorce is all right. That was the cultural theme, and that was the cultural mindset of that day. So Jesus starts there with, here's the understanding. And yet he continues in verse 32. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus says, here is the cultural idea. This is what's been held up. But here's God's design. And here's God's plan. And in God's design and God's plan, there's a permanence. There's a permanence to marriage. It isn't to be entered flippantly. It isn't to be viewed as just something that's whimsy. This is a vow that you are making before another person, and even more important than that, before God, that for the rest of your life, you are going to be united as one. This is God's plan. Now, within that context, Jesus says it is permissible. It doesn't have to happen, but it is permissible in the case of adultery that you could, you could leave the relationship if the other partner commits adultery. That is permissible in God's sight. I just want to encourage you. Take your relationships seriously. They're designed by God to be permanent. They're designed by God to complete, to fulfill, to bring satisfaction, to help and assist. And so if you find yourself in a relationship, right, if you find yourself married right now, I just, I want to encourage you. Don't quit. Don't quit. And by don't quit, I don't just mean don't get divorced. I mean don't quit in your relationship. Keep putting the work in. Relationships are difficult. If you're part of a relationship, I don't really have to tell you this. I'm just going to remind you anyway. The moment you enter a relationship, you invite more problems into your life. You, you just do. Because it's no longer just you. So keep working at it. Don't quit. Keep pursuing your spouse. Keep making sure that your spouse knows that they are loved and that they're valued. Continue to date them. 
Continue to be the, the emotional support for that person. Continue to provide romance. Continue to work on your appearance and, and put in the work. Take care of yourself. Take care of your relationship. Don't just think, well, we made a vow before God, so now you're stuck with me. And that sounds ridiculous, but we see it all the time. People just go through the motions, and they take it for granted. And God's design is to be different than that. And what I would also beg you to do, I would just beg you to do this, is never, ever, ever forsake love trying to find romance. We, we talked last week about God's design for intimacy within marriage relationships. And that is God's design. And what happens is there's dry spells, or people get tired, or people are exhausted, or people don't feel emotionally connected, and they're like, well, if we're not emotionally connected, we're not going to be physically connected. And so they just start letting everything just deteriorate around them, and all of a sudden someone comes along that makes you laugh, or somebody comes along and they make you feel young again, they make you feel desirable, and that's it's enticing and it's exciting. You're gonna, I could have that, or I could have what we've been doing. I just want to remind you, it is always, always, always better to follow God's plan and his design. So God's design for marriage is that it's permanent. We've seen here that Jesus says in cases of adultery, divorce is permissible. You're like, is that it? Well, now we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 7. We looked at the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians 7 last week. We're going to dive in now to 1 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11, where we read these words. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. So we come back to the letter that the Apostle Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, wrote to the church in Corinth. And now we get here, and he says, to the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. And this is the Apostle Paul who knows hell hath no fury like a woman who's going to hear some news she doesn't want to hear or a man who's going to hear some news he doesn't want to hear about marriage. So I'm just going to give the disclaimer. This isn't for me. This is from God. And we know from journeying through Acts that Paul was not a scared guy. He was not a scared man. They tried to kill him multiple times. He was arrested multiple times. But even he's like, hey, I'm just going to throw out this one's, this one's God, so if you don't like it, just deal with him, okay? He says, the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So what is God's design? Again, we've talked about it, that you would stay. Now with that... With that, we are given this. If the wife, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, why? Because people are broken and people are flawed and people step outside of God's plan 
all the time. And God's plan is that marriage would be permanent. That is the best route. That is God's design. But if you get to a point where you do not follow God's design and God's plan, which you should, but if you don't, he says, here's the thing. Then remain single. Then remain single. He goes on. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So before we dive into the specifics here, let's understand now what Paul is saying. When he says to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, it doesn't mean that he's just offering up his opinion, okay? He's He's clarifying something. We know from Scripture that all Scripture is inspired by God. This is Scripture, so this, this is not just his opinion that he's putting out there. He's saying, but the difference is, he wants to make crystal clear, that Christ himself did not say these words. Now, they're still from God as they're, in, as they're part of the inspired Scripture. But he's saying Christ himself did not say this direct. So he's introducing here a new dynamic. It's not at odds with Jesus, certainly, because all Scripture is inspired by God. But he's just letting people know that this was not part of the quote of Jesus. If any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. So if you find yourself in a relationship where you are dating that person and you aren't united on the spiritual front, but you're still together... You don't get to play the divorce card now because you aren't aligned spiritually. You can't use your faith as a reason to leave. Why? Well, verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband, Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. The reason that God wants the believing spouse to stay with an unbelieving spouse is because the spouse has an opportunity in the way that they love, and the way that they serve, and the way that they persevere to model Christ to their unbelieving spouse, to their children. We know from what the from what the gospel and the message of the gospel is, that every single one of us, every single one of us is responsible for determining whether or not we will follow Jesus. Nobody else can make that choice for us. Every single one of us has to make that choice independently. And so this idea of holiness coming on the unbelieving spouse and on the, un- and on the children is a picture as the spouse lives their life in devotion to Christ To model Christ to their spouse who doesn't believe and to their kids. And hopefully be a consistent model of Jesus to them and win them over for the sake of Christ. Now we move on to verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved God has called you to peace. Now, if the unbelieving spouse initiates the divorce, then it can occur. Then it can occur. Why? 
Because you can't control the behavior of another person. Every single one of us who's ever been married has at times wished that we could, in fact, control the behavior of somebody else. But we can't. We aren't responsible for the choices and decisions and feelings of other people. We can contribute to them, but we are ultimately not responsible for those things. And so, if the unbeliever wants to leave, then they are free to do so and the divorce can occur. Now, here's the question. What happens in situations and circumstances that go completely contrary to God's design, and there's an issue of abuse. What do we do in those circumstances? Are you just supposed to sit there and take it? Is that God's design? Is that God's plan? Well, certainly not. And what I would say to anyone to anyone who finds themselves in that situation, and all people that love Jesus would agree about this, get out. Get out immediately. Get out. Find yourself a place you can go where you are safe. And I want to make a promise to you, not just on behalf of Lakeside, but on behalf of myself personally. And this extends to Lakeside and extends to me personally. If you ever find yourself in that situation or in those circumstances, call me. We will get you out. We will get you to a place where you are safe. That is my promise to you. Now, because of the way that verse 15 ends, I'm about to give you my opinion, and understand, there are people who love Jesus just as much as I do who disagree with me on this. I am not the Apostle Paul. This is not inspired by God. This is just my opinion based on my interpretation of the way that I understand 1 Corinthians 7 to unfold and in 1 Corinthians 7.15 to unfold. But I would say, if you find yourself a victim of abuse, you would have grounds to leave and divorce in that circumstance because... At the end of verse 15, we are told what? That God has called you to peace. And there is nothing more contrary to God's design than to be trapped in a relationship where you are beaten and abused. Again, people who love Jesus just as much as I do interpret that verse differently. And I, I understand, I, it's, just, it's just the way that I interpret it. I'm not saying you have to interpret it that way. That is the way that I interpret it. That's how I would answer that question and advise people. And people who love Jesus just as much as I do could disagree with me on that, and I understand their, their point. But I do believe that verse 15 gives people that out in those circumstances. We continue to verse 16. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Ultimately, you are not responsible for anyone else's salvation. You are not responsible for anyone else's salvation. So, what do we do with all this? First, if you're single, be really smart about who you date. Be really picky about who you date. Know the standards, know the expectations, know what you're willing to move on, and know what you're not willing to move on. And be incredibly wise and incredibly picky in who you date. Second, I know that 
because of our culture, I know because of, of circumstances that we have a, a number of people in our society, we have a number of people here who come from blended families. And here's what I want to tell you. We are so glad that you're here. And we want to serve you. We want to help you. We want to encourage you any way that we can. We want to, we want to assist you any way that we can. Because what we recognize is being a family is hard enough. And then when you, you bring in all the dynamics of, of past broken relationships and, and then kids and, and stepkids thrown into the equation, that is some of the most difficult territory you can find yourself in. And we want to be a resource and we want to be an outlet for you and we want to help you any way that we can. And so we are so glad that you're here and we want to help. So if there's ever any way that we can help, let us know how we can do that. And for those of you who right now are thinking, well, I understand, but I chose differently. Does this mean that there's no hope for me? Jesus says I'm just in, stuck in perpetual adultery. I want to remind you of is that the God who sent his son, who spoke those words, would years later go to a cross. That same God formed you and knew you. And before he went to that cross, knew every mistake. Every regret and every moment of shame in your life. And still went to that cross and paid the price for your sin. Once and for all. And through Christ, you have been forgiven. And through Christ, you are made clean. Treasure your spouse. Put in the work. And the enemy's going to come. And he's going to try to tell you, you've messed up. You've blown it. God can't love you because of what you've done. And the hope of Jesus is that his forgiveness and his grace is greater than all of our sin, all of our shame, and all of our mistakes. God, I pray that we would rest in your grace. I pray that we would be comforted by the hope you offer us. I pray for the person right now, God, that's just lonely. And just longs to be loved. And I pray they wouldn't settle. 
I pray for young love as it develops. And, and God, I just pray that people would come to the same page and, and recognize things that they'll negotiate on and what the non-negotiables are. And I pray that you would bless their relationship as they strive to follow after you. I pray for marriages that are struggling. And I pray, God, that each spouse would seek you first and foremost and then seek their partner. Pray for the person right now who's tempted. Because things at home are boring or dry and it's just been forever and all of a sudden desire screams their name. And I pray, God, they'd honor you. Pray for the person right now, God, in the midst of their marriage ending. And God, I just ask that you would intervene. And for those who've suffered unspeakable acts in a relationship that was designed to keep people safe and fulfilled. I pray, God, that they would heal. And I pray the person who abused them would also heal. I pray, God, you would work in all of our stories in all of our circumstances. For your glory, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.